The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I guess the good news is oil can only go so low. It can only go as low as zero. Right. Uh, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It is Thursday, January 28th. I'm Tori Stilwell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I'm joined by my co-host Dan Moss, our executive editor for Global Economics in New York. Hey, Dan. Hey, Tori. It's been a while. I know. This is your first episode back since Le Bebe. That's right. I've been on paternity leave, which was the subject of one of our final podcasts before she was born. And yes, it's true. We named her Victoria. (laughs) And how is Victoria doing? Last night, uh, she was pretty active. Um, I'm hoping for a better outcome tonight. And what does an active baby look like? Just like, just rolling around a lot? Oh, no, no, you no. have to be a certain age a- no, to roll, no, I guess. No. This is a euphemism for how well is the baby sleeping between, say, 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. I see. Well, uh, today, Dan, I want to talk about oil, and I think that it's been impossible for us, at least, to escape headlines about low or falling oil prices. We're hearing a lot about how they're contributing to the stock market declines, or at least volatility. Energy companies are also in some serious earnings trouble, thanks to the oil slump, and it may weigh on inflation as well. So let me give uh, our listeners some specifics. In June 2014, which is an important date, we'll reference it a couple times in this episode, oil was trading at over $100 a barrel. Then it started going down, and now it's at just over $30 a barrel. Last week, it touched the lowest levels since 2003 at around $27 a barrel. So how did we get here? It's a classic instance of supply and demand at work, right, Dan? And several explanations have been advanced for what's affecting that classic supply and demand right now. We've heard people talk about a slowdown in economic growth in China, though I have to say that's not a particularly super new story. We've heard people talk about how OPEC no longer packs the punch as a cartel controlling prices that it used to. Again, not necessarily a super news story. And we've also heard some discussion about Iran re-entering the global oil market. That is more recent. 
it's also a production story. We've just got too much oil. We don't know what to do with it all. There's been higher production here in the U.S. thanks to new technologies like fracking, et cetera. Um, as Dan mentioned, OPEC has also been playing a role. They haven't tamped down production to sort of get more adjusted to the new price dynamics that we're seeing. They want to maintain that market share, so they are continuing to pump out oil. Um, and there's also been a mild winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. And again, growth prospects for the global economy, as Dan mentioned, major emerging market economies may have weaker growth prospects. So that's something to keep an eye on too. And for all these reasons, the World Bank just lowered its 2016 forecast for crude oil prices to $37 per barrel. That's down from $51 in its October projection. So already they've had to, to go in and revise that. Now, normally, cheap oil has been viewed as unambiguously good for the U.S. economy. Sure, it may hurt producers when oil prices drop because it makes their operations less profitable. But what they lose, the consumer gets. For one, oil is an input into a lot of other manufactured goods. So the prices of those things could drop or at least not go up. Airlines can afford to let prices for flights drift a little lower if competition warrants it. Household heating costs can be lower, and most notably, gas prices can drop a lot. In 2014, gas prices peaked for the year in April when they reached an average $3.70 a gallon for regular gasoline. Since then, it's been almost a straight line down. There was a small rebound in mid-2015, but now they've fallen to $1.83 a gallon, so literally half of what they were at back in April 2014. Now, because of these factors, when oil prices started to head south in mid-2014, many economists thought, great, this will be a boon to economic growth. Then the energy industry started slashing jobs, cutting investment, and still prices fell. But consumer spending, they said, don't worry, that'll take up more of the slack. And it looks like it did help somewhat. Consumers spent more on eating out. There were a couple of months last year where spending really popped. But for the most part, spending took a down step last year compared to 2014. Certainly not the big gain that many observers were expecting. And what's more, the savings rate actually increased. So not only do they not spend, they saved. Mm -hmm. In October, it rose to a three-year high of 5.6%. It doesn't sound like much, but we are talking about a massive population here. And in November, which is the latest data we have, it was 5.5%, pretty close to that level. Right. And that compares to 4.8% back into June 2014, when those oil prices really started to fall. So this doesn't make a ton of sense. When did Americans become so thrifty? We do not save money. We spend our money. We spend all of it. We don't, we don't think about the future. YOLO, right, Dan? Right. <laughs> all right. So why does it seem like we've been hearing more about cheap oil being a greater negative for the economy than the positive everyone expected it to be. To help us figure this out more, we're bringing on Ryan Sweet. He's a senior economist at Moody's Analytics, Inc. in Westchester, New York, and he covers the U.S. economy and all the indicators that track its health. He's one of the economists that I speak to the most on my beat. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's start with what's going on in the oil markets right now. A lot of investors are saying that the volatility in the stock market has been driven in part by the oil route, but wasn't cheap oil supposed to be good for the economy? What happened here? 
Uh, I think economists underestimated the hit to investment that was going to be that that occurred because of the enormous drop in oil prices. So business investment uh, fell significantly in in 2015, and and that really offset a good portion, but not all of the boost that we got from uh, increased consumer spending from lower oil prices. And Ryan, is it the drop or the magnitude of the drop? It's both. Uh, that sounds like the perfect economist answer, but it, tr- it is true. <laughs> uh, typically, when gasoline prices are going up, it's how quickly they're rising that can affect consumer spending and ultimately how high uh, gasoline prices rise and, and what that would do to consumer spending. And on the flip side, it's how fast they're falling and ultimately what, uh, uh, how low they go matters for consumer spending. And I think your point is very important in, in explaining why consumers didn't rush out and spend the initial savings from gasoline prices, because I think they were a little bit hesitant or uh, they didn't expect lower gasoline prices to stick because it had been very, very rare for oil prices to be, or gasoline prices to be below $3 per gallon. So initially when they fell below that threshold, I think, you know, the rational consumer was thinking, you know, they're likely going to go back up. So I'll I'll save some of that uh, windfall from lower gasoline prices. Right. Just wait it out. Yeah, exactly. And I think they waited it out, uh, which is which is fair. I mean, that's the rational thing to expect because typically, you know, sharp declines in gasoline prices don't stick too long. Uh, but now that we've seen gasoline prices remain low for an extended period of time, I think we've seen consumers spend more and more of that of that windfall. So we still think it's going to happen. I think it's happening, and I think it will continue to happen as you know, uh, wholesale prices indicate that retail gasoline prices are going to go even a little bit further uh, lower. So I think we're going to get uh, an additional boost to consumer spending in that regard. And I also think lower gasoline prices will be more of a positive in early 2016 for overall GDP growth because we're not going to get as sharp of a decline in uh, energy-related investment because the drop that we got in 2015 was almost as big as we saw during the Great Recession. Now, it doesn't feel like there's a big consumer boom going on. I hear you on what the surveys of sentiment say. Is it possible we're saying one thing to pollsters and then doing another when it comes to opening our wallets? I actually have some numbers on this because I looked at it right before I came here. And when I was looking at the Commerce Department data in the year ended third quarter 2015, which is the latest data that we have right now, consumers spent about $86 billion less on gasoline. And during that same time frame, so the year ended third quarter 2015, personal savings were up by about $62 billion. So that basically shows that consumers have, you know, it looks like they've saved almost three quarters of their savings from cheap gas. So it looks like, Ryan, the model is being defied. I think it has a little bit, at least initially, but I do think they'll ultimately spend it uh, over the course of this year. To give you a good rule of thumb, uh, a penny change in gasoline prices typically increases or decreases consumer spending by $1 billion over the course of a year. So it does take time for consumers to realize that they've got extra money in their pockets from lower gasoline prices and go out and begin to spend that windfall. I think uh, it's very difficult to parse out from the spending and the savings data some of the other effects that are weighing on consumer spending. So Mm. they may have a lot of windfall from lower gasoline prices, but the volatility in the stock market, some concerns about the global economy may be forcing them to save some of that windfall for a rainy day. 
This just seems to be another of these examples where the textbook models of economics about what should happen when one thing happens doesn't really seem to apply, Ryan. It's like the tightening labour market was supposed to produce and is supposed to produce higher wages and ultimately greater rates of inflation, which would actually be welcomed by people. The consumer oil boom seems to be much of the same thing. The model's not really happening, and yet, and yet, we're still convinced that it ultimately will. Mm. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, it may appear that economists are wed to their models, but, you know, uh, a good philosophy to always uh, you know, adhere by is that when the facts change, opinions change, and your views should change. And I think, you know, the, the what we're seeing in response to lower gasoline prices by consumers, I, you know, I think it does uh, justify you know, re-look, taking another look at how we view the impact of lower gasoline prices and its effect on consumers. Mm-hmm. And we've done that, and we've been looking at uh, the mix. And I think the mix is very important. And what I mean by that is uh, who accounts for the large share of spending on gasoline. And surprisingly, uh, it's high-income earners. Uh, so those that are high-income earners account for a lion's share of total uh, consumption on gasoline, and typically those consumers have a, a smaller marginal propensity to consume, meaning that you put another dollar in their pocket, they're going to spend uh, a smaller share of that. Whereas low-income earners, uh, they don't make as much of, uh, uh, and they don't account for as large of an increase or as large of a uh, the total spending on gasoline. Therefore, uh, you know this mix issue is, I think, kind of accounting for why all the money from lower gasoline prices hasn't made it into consumer spending. So it doesn't sound like you think that there's been this fundamental shift then in how consumers approach unexpected windfalls to their income. I don't think so, because there's there's a lot going on in the economy. Uh, the stock market is very volatile. Wage growth, as you pointed out earlier, hasn't really accelerated as much as the tightening in the job market uh, would otherwise suggest. So I think consumers are being rational in saving some of the windfall because I think the scars and, and the shadow of the, uh, the Great Recession is still lingering with us. Well, let's pick back up with this conversation after a short break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, let's talk about why we're worried about what consumers are doing in the first place, which is that producers have been taking such a huge hit as well after the break. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.
All right, so one of the reasons why we're sort of waiting for this other shoe to drop with the consumer, when will they spend this this supposed windfall from gas savings, um, is because producers have been taking such a huge hit. Just Tuesday, Hess Court said that it will cut capital spending on exploration and production by 40% this year from 2015 due to the low oil prices. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on with energy producers and and why this this lack of a pickup from the consumers has been a little bit concerning due to what's going on in their world right now. Yeah, the producer's been hit particularly hard, particularly the energy producer because uh, of lower oil prices, uh, because the oil market is, we're just awash in it. Uh, we're essentially swimming in excess oil. And that's been a big factor of why oil prices are, you know, trading roughly around $30 per barrel. I mean, did this uh, happen think, all at once, though? I mean, it seems like it's sort of been a long time coming, just the trends that have been in place. It has. Uh, you know, the, the excess supply has built over time. Uh, but I also think there's other factors behind why oil prices are $30 today. For example, the, the U.S. dollar has appreciated significantly over the last couple of years. And because oil is priced in dollars, that's driven the, the price lower. Uh, the Iran nuclear deal, I think that also had a significant effect on oil prices. And then there's demand concerns. You know, the Chinese economy isn't uh, doing very well. It's slowed substantially. And I think that's led investors to reevaluate their, their expectations for the global economy and ultimately what the price of oil uh, should be. You know, Ryan, these are all perfectly plausible explanations which we hear advanced um, on media outlets each day. Is there something, I just want to push you a little bit, is there something deeper going on here? Is the world economy going through a fundamental structural, not cyclical, but structural mm-hmm. change, which is just throwing some of these models and assumptions we've all grown up with out the window? Yeah, I think we are going through a lot of changes. Uh, I mean, the global economy in uh, the post-Great Recession era is likely going to look different than it was prior to it. But it already does, doesn't it? That's already it does. Here. I'm talking about something it, that might not be right staring us in the face, but that's building and building. And these things we've been describing are really just symptoms of it. It could be. I mean, we could be underestimating uh, the, the weakness in the Chinese economy because, uh, as everyone knows, uh, you've got to take the, the Chinese economic data with a grain of salt. Right. Uh, so that economy could be doing a lot worse than, than we anticipate or is visible in the economic data. But, I, I, you know, looking around, looking for, for bubbles or looking for, you know, the, these uh, you know, potential issues is, is very difficult. I, I, it's difficult to find anything that would be explaining why oil is $30 today based on fundamental. I mean, the fundamental price of oil is substantially higher than it is trading at today. Uh, I think financial demand for oil is very, very low, and I don't think that's getting a lot of attention in, in the press. Uh, and I think that's another reason why oil prices are, are where they are today. Can you talk a little bit more about that last point? Yeah, of course. Um, financial demand plays an important role. You can think of financial demand as speculation. Uh, so speculators can cause the price of oil to increase and decrease from day to day, week to week, and even month to month. But in the long run, fundamentals typically went out. So it boils down to supply and demand. How people are uh, using it, basically. Exactly. And, you know, given that, you know, if our view of the world unfolds, uh, we think the global economy was, is going to pick up over the next couple of years. 
that implies stronger demand for oil will start to erode or work uh, off some of the excess supply in uh, the, the oil market today and that the price will gradually move back towards its equilibrium. When you talk about questions from your relatives or questions in a restaurant and you just find yourself shaking your head, is part of this because people think, aha, but no one foresaw a national housing crash either? Yeah, I feel like we were told are- it was, quote, contained, unquote. Is that part of the thing that's going on with consumer psyche here? I mean, you did refer to scars of the recession. Is that partly what's going on in terms of why such a slide in oil prices hasn't translated to a consumer boom? It's because belief is gone? That's a very good point. And I think pessimism has become very popular. You know, during the recession, there was just cause to that because, you know, our economy was unraveling very, very, very quickly. And I think the scars from that have taken a long time to heal, and understandably, because for many people, uh, you know, it still feels like a recession to them because there's a large number of people that are uh, not in the labor force but want a job. Wage growth is very, very, very weak uh, from a historical perspective. So for many people, it still, you know, has... Uh, has that feel of recessionary conditions. But what makes me worried is that the collective psyche can be very important at turning points. Uh, Because typically when the economy is doing well, consumers are feeling optimistic. When the economy is falling apart, pessimism becomes more popular. But at turning points, changing the collective psyche can be very, very important in determining whether the expansion moves on or if uh, the economy becomes at serious risk of falling into a recession. And that's one reason why the impact on the stock market is, uh, and it's a it's spillover effect on, on consumer confidence, business confidence, is going to be very, very important to watch uh, over the next few months. Yeah, and we actually talked about that exact issue in an episode uh, just two weeks ago, so listeners should go in and tune into that. But before we wrap up, I do want to kind of address head-on this question that we are wondering. At what point does does all this cheap oil become bad for the economy? I guess the good news is oil can only go so low, but, I mean, is there is there a point where it becomes bad for us? Do you Are we there yet, or do you anticipate that we will get there anytime soon? It's a very interesting question. I, mean, I guess it can only go as low as zero. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully we don't get to that point in uh, anytime soon. I think low oil prices uh, haven't been as positive for the economy uh, as we anticipated you know, when they were you know, falling in late 2015, um, or late 2014, excuse me. Uh, partly because of the investment side, you know, they, they took it on the chin. Uh, consumers, they were uh, more cautious than we, we had anticipated. Uh, but I think oil prices, hopefully they stabilize and begin to increase because uh, our economy needs a little bit more inflation. And inflation is just too low right now. And if inflation doesn't pick up, then I think you know the Fed's going to have to uh, be very, very cautious in normalizing interest rates. They'll likely punt on a few meetings here and there on uh, raising interest rates. And then that's going to raise concerns about financial stability in 2016, 2017. Uh, so essentially, you know, bubbles will uh, have a greater odds of, of developing down, down the road the longer the Fed waits to, to start this process. The other concern is oil prices and inflation expectations are becoming strongly correlated, uh, which is a little bit puzzling to me. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult for uh, me to understand why a consumer's expectations of where 
inflation will be 10 years from now is dependent on the price of oil today. Mm-hmm. But Maybe the Fed, it's just the whole it, link with gas prices and that being the price that they see so often. I think that, I think that's true. You know, I think they do base their inflation expectations on when they drive by, they see the gasoline pump, and you know, that's that and milk. I think is uh, a big influence on on consumers' expectations for inflation. But the Fed is very very uh, sensitive to fluctuations in long term inflation expectations. So um, I think oil prices are going to be very very important in where monetary policy is headed over the, the next year or so. Well, on that note, we are going to wrap up for today. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. It's been great being able to chat this over with you. Oh, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. And thanks to you all for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And do let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to and follow us on Twitter at, at DanielMossDC and at Tori Stilwell. And please let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about in future episodes. See you next week. We're proud of our new and growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. In addition to Bloomberg Benchmark, which you're listening to now, don't miss Odd Lots, a deep dive into the intersection of markets, economics, and finance with Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway. There's also Deal of the Week with our mergers and acquisitions reporter Alex Sherman looking at a breakdown of the biggest deals and giving you an inside peek into corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Check them out and subscribe today. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, Turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.